This is Lisa from Washington, and I have no idea what an I doubt it with Dolomore is. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dolomore. All right. Welcome to the show, everybody. Episode 113 of I Doubt It with Dolomore on this April 8th. 2015. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore, and sitting across from me, all Brittany Page-like, is my co-host, Brit- Brittany Page. Wow. <laughs> if that's all the creative energy that you can muster no, today, I not, don't think that things are going to go well. It's not that. It's just I always have something kind of biting or negative or, you know, mildly shitty to say and about you. And you feel positive about me today. No, no. It's just I, I get the impression that maybe the audience thinks that you're just this horrible negative bitch. And that's not the case at all. You're fun loving and, uh, you know, generally a good time. So I haven't, I haven't. I don't mean in a whorish way either. I haven't <laughs> heard that the audience felt this way. No, so, no, no, so no. what have you been hearing? I didn't say I heard that. Oh. I said that I fear that I'm creating mm. this weird image for you mm. that you're, you know, you're you're beating me down. That you're treating me like I'm an Indiana pizza shop owner. Right. And you're you're a, a gay rights advocate or mm. something. I think that you just S on me and everyone knows that, <laughs> that that's what happens and that's okay. And Oh, and you're just so decent and kind and loving toward me. The best. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, here we are. Episode 113. Things are looking up. Things are looking good. It was a very busy week. All kinds of crazy shit's happening. But uh, I do want to talk before we get to all of that. A little bit about something very important to me, audience. Personal space. Mm. (laughs) Should be important to everyone. It's very important to me. And I don't know what the deal is with people who who feel like just because you're in a grocery store or just because you're in a department store, that all of a sudden the rules of the road don't apply anymore. That you can saddle right up to me and it's okay to be... If I can smell your goddamn breath, you're too close. Yeah. I mean... That's factual. That's disgusting. It's too much. Yeah. I I don't know. It's it's obviously the close talker thing bothers me, and it's bothered me for a long time. Mm -hmm. But I'm noticing that it's not just close talkers anymore. It's the people who, like I said, they sidle right up to you while you're waiting in line. I kind of had an experience today, actually. I was at the mall, South Coast Plaza. Yeah. And I was waiting patiently for someone to help me. And the there was only one person working in the store that I was waiting for help inside of. And this woman that was being helped just almost walked into me. Wow. She saw me and was coming toward me. And if I hadn't moved out of the way, she would have just bumped into me and she saw me. Yeah. And I'm 5'10". It's not like I'm a tiny little baby that she might not have just seen. She saw me. <laughs> right, right. But we run into this a lot where people kind of make us move out of the way. Well, I don't... Listen, 
I don't, it must be a cultural thing, and I don't want to appear racist, but there are a lot of Asians in Orange County in Southern California. And I know, especially with Japanese people, I don't know what the percentages are. I'm not a, uh, an expert on the different cultures, but I know that there's a lot less space and a lot more people per square foot in some of these countries. And they've just kind of come around to it not being a big deal to be, you know, in the Marine Corps, we, we used to call it asshole to belly button. Mm-hmm. You know, where you're, you're in line and one person's belly button is right up against the other person's asshole. Wait. Intimate. They, they would say, get A to B. Get in line, A to B. That means asshole to belly button. And that was your favorite time <laughs> of the day. No, it's not. But it just, it, that's, that's pretty goddamn close. Um, yeah. <laughs> yep. And so is. I think a lot of a lot of a lot of passes that I give on it are because, oh, maybe it's just a cultural thing and I should just chill out a little bit. But listen, this is the great open west of the United States. There's plenty of room. I don't need someone smelling my asshole while we wait in line at a grocery store. Wow. And what happened to the days where I came across as an intimidating figure, kind of scary? Right. A big ginger with a freakish homeless beard. It's not so homeless freakish now, but mm -hmm. there have been times in the past where it's too long. Yeah. And it still doesn't scare people away enough to not want a piggyback ride while they wait in line at the Target. Right. And well, there have been times where I have been so uncomfortable where I have asked people to please back up. Right. Or give me some space. Yeah. And I think maybe people just are in their own heads and they're thinking about something and they don't really realize how close they are to you. But I definitely have a bubble that I don't like people to invade. Yeah. Well, I think that's it's a natural thing. And I think it's the way it should be that you shouldn't have to jockey for position and keep shirking away further and further <laughs> from the encroachment. From the breath. Yeah. Well, that, like I said, I mean, really, that's the rule. If I can smell your goddamn terrible breath, or if I can smell your sweet breath, it doesn't matter. You're too close. <laughs> your sweet breath. You're too close. And you can't you can't make this rule on cologne because some people pile that on and no. you can smell it from a mile away. I don't know if I've ever talked about my my disdain and dislike for cologne, but I don't believe men should wear cologne. And it might be sexist and it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing, but listen, use what God gave you. You've got a natural animalistic musk about you. Mm. And I wear deodorant, but I don't need to be splashing on the cologne. It's just too much. I hate when I get in an elevator and I know that someone was just in there loving the cologne. And uh. then I have to breathe that and I'm, I feel like I'm suffocating in the elevator, it's terrible. Or when someone walks by me, it's very windy, and I can still smell the cologne for several minutes. It's too much. It's when, too much. When we were at the Los Angeles County Museum of Art recently, there were several groups of people that would walk around us, and everybody in the group had their own particular flavor of cologne on, and it's, it's over-fucking-whelming. It's way too much. So I guess the intro here is twofold. It's give people their space. Please, especially and, me. And give me nose space too. I, I My nose wants space. Maybe <laughs> that's ultimately what I'm asking for. Yeah. It's just, 
Give my nose a break. If I can smell your rank tuna breath. Oh, my God. Well, I'm just thinking of something gross. Or coffee breath. Coffee mixed with cigarettes is the worst. Yeah, that's no. So, okay, so if I can smell any of that, your filthy, dirty, mildewed rag breath, or your cologne, you're too fucking close. Or you've got too much cologne on, or you need to brush your teeth. <laughs> I guess we're really coming down. There's no... <laughs> There's a lot of things people need to work on yeah, here. Yeah, I'm bothered by a lot, apparently. <laughs> a lot. No one is surprised by this. So before we move on and away from this glorious, well, one, here, hang on. Let me <laughs> screech to a, a, a grinding halt here. I want to know what the audience has to say about this. 657-464-7609. That is our number. Sound off. Because not only am I the type of guy who doesn't like to just point out a problem, I like to create some kind of a solution. Well, here's an instance where I don't really have a solution and I want to ask the audience, what do they think? Well, and also if they've ever had an experience where they have had to tell someone like, listen, oh, I would I would love back it up a little. I would love a litany of voicemails from the audience to play next episode or over the course of the next few episodes of people who got too close or invaded space. 657-464-7609. That is the number to call to share your experiences. You can also do it on the Facebook page or email us at I doubt it at dollamore.com. Well, speaking of voicemails, just this evening, we received a voicemail all the way from good old Mississippi, and Dave has a question for us. My name is Dave. I'm from Jackson, Mississippi. I uh, stumbled across your show a few weeks ago, and I really enjoyed it. It's become a regular inclusion in my weekly podcast, uh, Podcast Q. I wonder if you guys would consider having a discussion about so-called private schools. Sometimes they're known as academies uh, in my neck of the woods, and many of them are simply uh, just a modern form of segregation between blacks and whites when it comes to, you know, the educational options that our children have. And the proponents of these quote-unquote private schools would say that they offer parents an alternative to what many would consider to be a broken public school system, but the reality is that these types of schools often offer nothing more than to allow a white person just to pay a fee so their kid doesn't have to go to school with blacks. I don't want to blanket criticize the situation. I'm sure you know a lot of these private schools are superior to the public school system, and and you know it comes kind of tricky when you think about the basic rights of what we can choose that is best for our kids. I mean, what's wrong for me to want my child to attend a school that has a better educational record than than the public schools, even if it's 99% white? And why are more blacks not enrolling in these schools? Is it really the case that all whites can afford these schools while all blacks cannot? Or maybe it's that black families, even if financially able, wouldn't willing, willingly subject their child to a future and a culture in which they were unwanted, basically. I'm sure, you know, not all private schools are segregated like this, and I'm sure many of them recruit the best students of all races, but, you know, here in the South, it's pretty well understood, if not spoken out loud, that if you don't have to send your kids to the same schools as black people, as you can do so as long as you can pay for it. 
I just don't understand how this is the case in this day and age. It's something that's bothered me for, for a long time. Uh, so I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Thanks a lot. Bye. Several things. Uh, first of all, Dave, thanks for calling very much. We, we said last episode, put our number in speed dial. If you get out of the shower and you're worried about a mole somewhere, give us a call. We want to give you advice about that. <laughs> that may be taking it too far, but yes, thank you today very much. No, I'm teasing, but I, I do. I would like to have more interaction with the audience. Uh, I mean, when we installed the voicemail line you know, about a year ago or so, it immediately was a hit. And, you know, I think sometimes the the audience doesn't they're cautious about how to interact with the show. And right. I don't want that to be the case. If you have a question, if you have a concern, if you want, want something on uh, covered, then sound off. If we're for sure. It's all part of moving the conversation forward. So uh, getting to Dave's topic about private schools. Uh, having never lived in Mississippi and being someone who makes fun of Mississippi, um, mainly because of the fact that, as Dave said, People don't want to send their kids to public schools a lot, and it's mainly because Mississippi ranks number 50, or at the very bottom of the 50 states in the in the union, uh, a lot of the time, on almost everything. Right. And there are massive race relations issues mm -hmm. in the Deep South, and yes. Mississippi is about as Deep South as it gets. And I don't know why that is. It bothers me, because they've had um, some major heavyweight political clout come out of Mississippi. Trent Lott was a a senator from Pascagoula, Mississippi, which is a port town, and he was the majority leader of the Senate for many years. He was the majority leader while I worked for the United States Senate, so that kind of dates me, but um, anyway, I, I digress. Um, the issue here is that we have to kind of balance personal liberty. And if I have enough money to send my kid to a private school because the public school is not getting the job done, then that is my right to spend my money as I see fit. Um, however, it doesn't solve and really doesn't answer the question of uh, a parent's motivation. If it's out of racism, th that's problematic. And that's something we need to deal with on a societal level. But... Um, I think the immediate thing that would need to be addressed would be getting the schools of the state of Mississippi and everywhere in the United States up to par. Right. To a level where there isn't such a, a, an incentive to send your child to a non-public school. So because of the personal liberty aspect of the question, uh, I don't think that there really is an answer. I think that maybe the government could incentivize these schools through tax breaks or whatever to, well, look, there's an issue with vouchers and Democrats never want to have vouchers and they never want this program to go forward because they think it's going to damage public schools. But it's only going to damage those schools that don't perform. If there is a school that is terrible and complete shit and the government gives vouchers to parents to send their child to whatever school they want to, then those failing schools will fail. And they will fail because they were meant to fail, because they're doing a terrible job. Right. So some free market in this area, I think, is a good thing. Not go crazy with it, but if, the, if black, poor families were to have the opportunity and the money 
to go, then they could have that choice as well. And then we would see, and only time would tell, how these um, fancy academies and these fancy private schools would would react and how, what their admission policy would be with the with black students. But until such time, we'd have to see. But some some experimenting, something needs to be done creatively in the state of Mississippi and across the entire country, but especially down there in the Deep South, because Mississippi, Alabama, you know, um, have done a terrific job of coming in dead last on these particular types of issues, education, um, per capita household income. You know, it's terrible. Which is really unfortunate for the children. And I think this this whole argument just comes back to the inequality issue. And, right. you know, it, it is... It is unfortunate. It's an unfortunate reality that there is this disparity. And we've talked about it before with the white average household income and the black average household income. Mm -hmm. And it is very unfortunate. And like you're saying, I think the focus should be on getting these schools up to par so that the education is equal. Well, here's what happens, especially within the education um, arena, is it's all about paying teachers more. And I don't think that's necessarily the answer because... When you're paying shitty teachers more, you're reinforcing bad behavior. There has to be, like I said, a creative way around this this topic and and be inventive in the way that we tackle these issues. Just paying teachers more isn't going to get the fucking job done. We need to spend our money wisely. It's the same thing with the whole welfare thing. We need to not completely eliminate welfare or deeply cut the budget of welfare and and social spending but we need to be creative about how we spend the money so you know dave i don't know i I appreciate the call very much but it's it's definitely a difficult issue yeah it's very complicated what i would have you do is you know talk to your local school board local officials and talk to them about getting creative and inventive with how they spend their money how they allocate their funds Change has to start from within. It has to start at a local level. And, you know, your state more than any other needs the help. So thanks for thanks for sounding off. Thanks for calling. And um, thanks for checking out the show. We know a tiny, tiny fraction of the people who listen to the show. But when we when someone reaches out and makes contact, it's always special. So we appreciate it. So a little follow up before we move on to the the main meat of the show is uh, Memories Pizza, the... <laughs> what a weird-ass name for a pizza company, by the way. Memories. Yeah, it's like... Right? What's that store in the mall where they'll engrave something for you? It's something memories or cherished moments. Well, I think, or... yeah, it's usually like memories by someone because yeah. it's just like someone owns the small memories business. Memories Pizza. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they have gotten their money. They're $850,000... Hopefully they have had their their uh, financial planner assigned to them, and they have decided that they are going to donate that money. Now they haven't said exactly how much and to whom. They've given kind of a a broad general list of some some organizations to which they'll give money. They haven't said how much to each, but that is what they're going to do. Right. So Crystal and Kevin O'Connor have named where they will be giving the money, but like you said, not the amounts. So they are set to share their fortune with disabled children, a woman's help group, firefighters, police trusts, 
Christian Churches and Washington florist Baronel Stutzman, 70, who was fined after declaring that she would not serve a gay wedding. No specific amounts are reported. It's also unclear as to why the 70-year-old woman would need their help as she's the beneficiary of similar fundraising campaign that today stands at $150,000 and her fine is only $1,001. So... It's a, well, it, what it, all it says to me, Brittany, is that we're in the wrong business. What we need to do is start a pizza company or a bakery or a florist business and then refuse to serve the queers. Discriminate against people. Be total bigots and then throw up our hands when we have to shut our doors or not when we have to, but when we decide to shut our doors because of the threats from the rampant members of Big Gay. Right. Well, now they're going to reopen because they're no longer afraid. That's the other thing. Apparently, they were only scared. The scare that was put into them was only worth two or three days because they're back open again. Or it was only worth $850,000. That's right. So Kevin O'Connor says that he doesn't hate his detractors, right? Quote, there are just a lot of good people out there. It seems like all we hear about is the bad ones. And when something like this happens, it seems like the bad ones are the first to come out and get after you. I don't hate these people. They are just angry. I'm not really sure what they are so angry about. So, ma- <laughs> so many things oh, are fucking God. are topsy turvy. What used to be wrong is now right, and what used to be right is now wrong. I don't hold anything against them. And then he gave some more thoughts on same-sex marriage. He said, "If any child of mine came out as gay and entered into a gay marriage, I would still love them, but Daddy wouldn't be going to that wedding." Still a bigot. Just that was my best Southern accent. He's he is reinforcing. His hatred. And listen, you can say, hate the sin, love the sinner all you want, but all it means is hate. You're still hating. Can we also get away from the, what used to be wrong is now right and this crap? Because stop speaking from tradition, because many traditional things. That's right. We're not right. We're not correct. Slavery used to be right. And coincidentally, to your point, it's, it's no longer right. Right. Evolving on moral issues is very important for the development and advancement of society. Right. We grow, we change, we adapt. And these are good things, not bad things. Not when you're a memories pizza guy. What's his name? Kevin O'Connor. Kevin O'Connor. Mm-hmm. Tolerant man of God. Kevin and Crystal O'Connor. Kevin O'Connor. So that is what they're doing. We will continue to follow them. Hopefully they just fall off the the map and we don't have to deal with them after their 15 minutes is up. But, you know, you never know with these types and uh, with their newly found wealth. I hope someone does track to see what they do with it and how many (laughs) four-wheelers they buy with their new money. Dollamocracy 2016. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So Rand Paul is officially in the race for the presidency of the United States of America. Yes. So we have two official candidates, Ted Cruz, Rand Paul. It's getting exciting. Uh, He made the rounds like you would expect him to do, uh, the media. And he went on the Today Show the the morning after he he, um, declared... And as you would expect, 
when a guy who's trying to run for the Republican nomination, who has been a pretty stalwart libertarian up to this point. Right, the son of Ron Paul. Right, he's Ron Paul light. He's the light version of Ron Paul. Right. And this took place on the Today Show. You have had views in the past on foreign policy that are somewhat unorthodox, but you seem to have changed over the years. You once said Iran was not a threat. Now you say it is. You once proposed ending foreign aid to Israel. You now support it, at least for the time being. And you once offered to drastically cut defense spending, and now you want to increase it 16%. Before, yeah, so I just wonder if you've mellowed out. Yeah, why don't we let me explain instead of sure. talking over me, okay? Before we go through a litany of things you say I've changed on, why don't you ask me a question? Have I changed my opinion on that? would be sort opinion? of a better way to approach an interview. Okay. No, no, Is Iran well, I mean, still you've, not edit, you've a editorialized. No, 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 no. Listen, you've editorialized. Let me answer a question. You okay. ask a question and you say, have your views changed instead of editorializing and saying my views have changed? Okay, let's start out with regard to foreign aid. My opinion has always been that we shouldn't borrow money from China to send it to any country, Pakistan, Israel, or any other country. But I also realize that things will have to be done gradually and that if we are going to try to eliminate or reduce foreign aid, why don't we start with the countries that hate us, that burn our flag? And the one thing that is true is that Israel doesn't burn our flag. So I haven't proposed removing aid from Israel, but I still agree but with my original did. precept, which is, let, let me answer the question. I still a agree with my original statement from years ago that ultimately all nations should be free of foreign aid because we shouldn't borrow money to do it. But my opinion is not any different than Netanyahu's opinion. When he came before a joint session of Congress in 1996, he said, you know what, eventually Israel ought to also be independent of it and that Israel's defense may be stronger because then they wouldn't be forced to buy defense project pro products from outside the country. Do you still think Iran is not a threat, as you said in 2007? Yeah. 2007 was a long time ago, and events do change over long periods of time. So we're talking about eight years ago. We're talking about a time when I wasn't running for office and I was helping someone else run for office. What I would say is that there has always been a threat of Iran gaining nuclear weapons, and I think that's greater now than it was many years ago. I think we should do everything we can to stop them. I've voted for sanctions to try to stop them. I'm uh, somewhat skeptical of the president's uh, agreement. However, I am in favor of negotiations over war, and I think I've been one of the reasonable people in our party who has not been beating the drums for war. And so uh, I think my position on Iran is one that reflects the events and reflects the current, current history with regards to Iran. And before I let you go, I, mean, I think the question I was getting at in general is just that when you came to Washington and you realized, I'm going to run for president, have you mellowed or tempered your views at all? I think what I've understood as I've come to Washington is that Washington's horribly broken and we have to try to fix it. I think the deficit goes on whether the Republicans question. or Democrats are in charge. And sometimes we point fingers too much and say it's the fault of one party or the other. I think there's enough blame to go around. But what I've come to the conclusion is, is that we need more turnover. I'm a big fan of term limits. I think we will only improve when we have term have rules such as a balanced budget amendment, which force Congress to do the job they seem to be incapable of doing. Senator Rand Paul bothers me a lot. Um, two things. Well, one, I think that the, the interviewer, and I can't recall her name, I don't agree with the way she started off the interview. She was asking three or four questions of this long, pointed, 
you you know a- accusatory kind of language and that's kind of shitty it's not a it's not a, an open kind of dialogue what she should have done is this date you said this this date you said this how do you make them mesh how do you make them jive right you know and, and I mean? took one by one by yeah one. not just you did this and then you did this and the, it's just very it's shitty it's it's not conducive to really an open conversation but he he's doing this classic politician thing where she asks a question he doesn't answer the question he he just spits out his last few things that he wants to talk about right and out of all of that i mean i want my audience to come away with the fact that and obviously i'm biased because i don't like this guy you don't I've, like rand paul um he's 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 god crazy guy he is <laughs> he is uh a big uh, anti-gay marriage guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he fails my litmus test. I think we did this a few episodes ago right. where he failed the Dollamore litmus test, which is if you are for taking away rights of Americans, treating one group of Americans differently than another group of Americans, you don't get my vote in this seminal civil rights issue of our time. So Problematic for Jesse D. For sure problematic for Jesse D. So the other thing I have a problem with him uh, on is term limits. Listen, listen, audience. And I would hope everyone would adopt this way of thinking. We do have term limits. They're called elections. Mm -hmm. Every two years, we have elections for Congress. Every six years, we have elections for the United States Senate. Mm -hmm. Every four years for president. I mean, we do have term limits. Every two, four, and six years, we have the opportunity as voters to either keep someone in office or kick them the fuck out. And when you when you have the government instilling or enacting a term limit, this person can only run twice, be in office twice. And the reason is the American people aren't smart enough. They're not well-informed enough to make a decision. That's problematic for me. So... Is it mostly problematic for you because of the government control aspect that they are taking control and saying, this is how long someone can be here rather than the power being with the people to decide this is how long someone will be here? That's right. They're taking away the decision from the people of who they want to represent them. It's... Is your belief a controversial idea? Because I know I've heard people, many people that are for term limits. I think a lot of people are for term limits. And I don't know where it falls in terms of which side tends to want term limits. I think it's a it's a conservative thing oh, Okay. to want term limits. And I've, I've always been against them. Even when I was in my, a different version of myself in the church and Republican, where I proudly proclaimed myself Republican. Um, I was uh, against term limits then. And mm. it's and it's like I just said, my the thing I've said for years is we do have term limits. They're called elections. Right. Because who 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 is who is Rand Paul to tell me that I can't vote for Joe Schmo 50 times? It's none of his goddamn business who I choose to vote for to represent me in our people's government. Well, and not just you, everybody. Right. Well, he he doesn't live here. Listen, I may not have agreed with Ted Kennedy being in office for as long as he was, but obviously the people of Massachusetts loved, revered, and wanted him as their elected representative. Yeah. So... I, I think you make a good point. 
Wow. Wow. Nice. Mm-hmm. Brittany Page. <laughs> I'm just doing my sidekick role. It's it's amazing when you agree with me. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would love to know what the audience thinks, whether it be just uh, a quick message on Facebook or call in the, the, the phone number, 657-464-7609. The other man that I want to talk about who I am predicting will run for president, his candidacy will ultimately go nowhere. But he is acting as someone who wants to run for president. It's um, independent senator Bernie Sanders from Vermont. He was recently, well, as recently as this morning, on with Chris Cuomo on CNN's New Day, and they had this exchange. Hillary Clinton have a better strategy? Well, we'll see. What do you mean? Why, why slow on Hillary Clinton? Well, what has she said that you believe is suggesting of something better? She said well, she I won't take we, any big money from people like the Kochs? Well, I think what we'll have to do is see what Hillary Clinton is standing for. I will tell you what I believe, and that is, for example, that the Trans-Pacific Partnership Trade Agreement is a disaster, that our trade agreements are costing us a whole lot of jobs. We have to rethink trade, NAFTA, CAFTA, permanent normal trade relations with China. I will tell you that climate change is one of the great planetary crisis that we face proud to have voted against the keystone pipeline that's my view you'll have to ask how Hillary passionately do you feel about this how important is it to my kids futures we are fighting for your kids and for my grandchildren if we end up in a nation in which so few have so much and so many have so little where billionaires can buy elections where we are not dealing with climate change i worry very much about the future of this great country if you worry so much when are you going to get in the race, Senator Sanders? We're working on it. Chris. I keep asking you the same question. Well, maybe every time next time I'm back, I'll have a different answer. Oh, yeah? Because every time you see someone else get in the race, is it emboldening you Look, or is it making you think it's not for me? When you run on the platform that I'm giving thought to running on, that is taking on the military industrial complex, taking on Wall Street, taking on the insurance companies, taking on everybody. And what I have to ascertain is there support in this country? Are people prepared to take on? The billionaire got The place. biggest income disparity we've ever had. Yes. You've got the most people sitting on the sidelines, not even looking for jobs anymore, giving a deceptive view of the unemployment rate. Right. What else do you need to see? Whether or not those people are so demoralized or whether or not they can are prepared to jump into the political process. Let me be very honest and tell you something. People need that, a leader. Leaders right, go let first. Me, let me tell you something. No one else is going to tell you this. It may be that we are at a stage where we can't beat these guys. They're just too powerful. I believe, and, and what I have got to do, and many of us got to, we got to continue the fight. We cannot let a handful of billionaires control the future of this country. And uh, that's what we got to struggle with. Senator Stanley, right. always an important message. Appreciate having you on the show from Vermont. See you again, sir. Thank you very much. Keep pushing you on this. I think Chris Cuomo fucking loves that guy. That's what it sounded like. Yeah. A lot of glad handing right there at the end. I mean, so, a lot of hand slapping, handshaking. <laughs> right. So during the clip, I Googled him and he came up as an independent. Yeah. He is the closest thing to a socialist that we have in Congress as an elected official. He, he was a congressman for years and years. When I was on Capitol Hill, he was a congressman and now he's a senator. So why the independent? Because he's not a Democrat. He's fa he's far left of the Democratic Party. Hmm. Very left. And to your point that you think he will be entering the race, um, 
I also see a bunch of articles popping up of things he said recently about higher education being a right. And he's making all these right. all these points that seem to be kind of laying groundwork for an announcement. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's he lives in a some utopic planet and country where uh, that doesn't exist. How does he expect to pay for all of that? Is he going to freeze the bank accounts of this bedeviled, be, oh, beguiling 1%? He's just going to take their money and, and pay for your college? Is that what he plans to do? I am not aware of his current plans. Because economically, and as far as the, the coffers of our government are concerned, of the taxpayers' money, um, things aren't great right now. Uh, things are great. We don't have all the money to spend on all these programs. Again, going back to what we talked about with the Dave's call, we need to be more inventive and more wise about how we spend our money. I'm not saying these programs are not important. Certainly they're important. But we need to be better stewards of taxpayer dollars. And I just don't see that he's the guy to do that. Bernie Sanders is also 73. He's going to be 74 this year. Yeah, I think it would make him the oldest elected president. Yes. But it, it, like I said, he doesn't have a chance in hell. A snowball's chance in hell, as it were, Brittany Page. Mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. But what he will do, what he will serve to do, and I think it's a good, a good thing, if he does get in the race, and he will be a legitimate candidate, it will cause Hillary Clinton to campaign to the left to try to match the things that she really truly truly does believe in that he that he is talking about it's the same thing when santorum gets in the race or mike huckabee gets in the race he causes the more moderate republicans to pull to the right right you know it, it he can uh, he, bernie sanders does have the ability to change the messaging and get the certain topics that he wants talked about and in the conversation talked about so for that reason, I think it would be good. And shit, I think it's good just for, for having another candidate running. To have one Democrat running for president is... There's something wrong with that. It's just... Well, it's not very fun for me. Well, it's not fun. It's also not good for the conversation. That she's creating the message. She's creating the agenda. And I don't like that. John Edwards should run. Yeah, John Edwards. <laughs> yeah, he should. He's probably too busy with that that nutter butter crystal loving spiritualist that had his love child. Riel Hunter. Are they still together? Mm, I don't know. I, I just, I didn't figure you would know. Yeah, I, just, I don't follow it. I just know her name. Right. So moving away from the presidential politics of our country and on to a state issue, the state of Missouri has a state representative, not in Congress, but at their state house named Rick Britton. And this was a big controversy this week with a food stamp bill that he has put forward that uh, has a lot of people up in arms. Right. The bill being proposed would ban the purchase of food stamps for cookies, chips, energy drinks, soft drinks, seafood, or steak. And a quote from Rick Bratton says, The intention of the bill is to get the food stamp program back to its original intent, which is nutritional assistance. And, of course, this makes sense when you're talking about cookies, chips, energy drinks, and soft drinks, but seafood and steak? I feel the exact... That's exactly how I feel. If it's about nutrition, right. seafood and steak are 
good. Well, what's weird is he kept saying that he was in line behind somebody. And I don't know why I'm doing that, but he was in line <laughs> behind somebody, I'm sure, at a Walmart. And um, they were buying lots of steaks and like crab legs, like expensive, luxurious, I think is the word he used, mm-hmm. seafood. So you're going to, no one can buy fish, salmon. No one can buy tilapia. I mean, we- not all seafood is super luxurious like king crab legs. Right. Tilapia is usually three ninety nine a pound. Right. Or catfish. We eat a lot of fish. We eat a lot of tilapia. We eat a lot of of, of catfish. Right. Sometimes you can get catfish for two ninety nine a pound. We have done that. Yeah. On average, salmon is about seven ninety nine a pound. Yeah. I uh, spend a lot of time looking at prices of fish. <laughs> Everybody. Well, here, here's I'm I'm with you, Brittany Page. I'm with you. However, I'm not outraged, and and I don't think it's a ridiculous... I think this guy's a dickhole. Let's get that right out of the way. He he proposed a bill last year that would... A woman who wanted to get an abortion would have to get a notarized uh, agreement or a notarized statement allowing her by the father of the child. Oh, please. And then there was a, a clause that would not make that happen or would not uh, require that... If it was, and this is the words, quote unquote, legitimate rape. If she was legitimately raped, there wouldn't be any need for the notarized permission slip. Oh, this guy's a Democrat, by the way. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, of course not. It's a joke. He had a panicked look on his face. (laughs) I thought it would, everyone would know it was a joke. Sorry. So anyway, so this just shows what kind of a jackass this guy is. However, I don't have... I'm not completely shitting on the idea. I think that steak and seafood is stupid. That's that's a stupid addition. But candy, soda, the sugary energy drinks. Listen, if if the food stamp program is really about nutrition and making sure children and poor people are are well fed and not starving, then why is candy on there? I mean, the WIC program, the Women's Infant and Children's Program for poor people, women who are or, or have babies and are pregnant, it's whole grain. There's a list of things that they can have. Whole grain cereals, milk. There's. It's not a free-for-all with fucking gobstoppers and candy bars. Well, and this is why you know that this man's argument is disingenuous because... In addition, he said that the language might need some tweaking. And he said, quote, my intention wasn't to get rid of canned tuna and fish sticks. <laughs> right. OK, fish sticks are nutritious. Right. Really, guy? God no, damn. he's not. He's not concerned about nutrition. He's concerned about ostracizing poor people. Right. I believe that to be true. And I, I get your point about the the candy and the soda. And what's been bothering me about this this controversy over this article is the arguments I've been seeing from people. And I think a lot of times people focus on the adults in the situation. And they talk about lazy adults abusing the system. I saw today, sorry, and we'll get back to that. I saw today, to, to your point, JoeThePlumber.com. That jackass who um, confronted Obama on the campaign trail and made a name for himself. There was a title on his blog, on his website, talking about welfare leeches. Calling poor people leeches because they're on some kind of government assistance. Mm -hmm. There is this hyperbolic, weird attitude about the, the poor. Right. And what people are forgetting about is the children that are involved in these situations. These children of parents 
even if they're lazy, quote unquote, even the if parents, right, even if the parents are lazy, even if the parents are doing whatever someone views as not productive, the kids are going to be eating the food. The kids are being affected by that or not eating the food that they buy. So right. if you just yank their food stamps away, you have starving children. Exactly. And that's a problem. And I was on food stamps when I was a kid. So was I. And I am thankful that the taxpayers allowed me to eat and allowed my mom an opportunity to feed us. Yeah. And I remember when we would get sometimes, you know, during Christmas or or the holidays, we would get like food packages from the food bank or from people that were just donating food. Sure. And I always felt very negative when those times would come. You mean like embarrassed? Yeah, embarrassed and yeah. ashamed. And I, I was able, I was old enough to be able to realize where the food was coming from. And it was really embarrassing to to then start having those realizations. And even it was embarrassing to use food stamps at the grocery store. Well, I don't know when they, in, because my parents... We were on food stamps, and then there was a time where we weren't on food stamps anymore because we had money. And being on food stamps when I was a kid, I don't know if, how it was for you, but th it was actually a book of Monopoly money that you would tear out your your Monopoly dollars that said food stamps on them. Right. And it was a fucking spectacle. It was a production for everyone in line to see, oh, look at the poor people buying right. food. Right. That wasn't the case for me. It was on a... Um for my mom, she had a debit card, so a plastic card, right. and it, it looked different from other types of credit cards. But the issue came when you would be in line, and the person would say, oh, is that debit? Or food stamps! <laughs> and it would just, them yelling food stamps, I'm sure they weren't yelling it, but it was just in perceived your mind, that way, right, right. right? And then you'd have to say, oh, food stamps, so they can put that in and make sure it runs through the EBT. And I would just go wait in the car when leaving the store came around because right. I didn't want someone from my school to hear the yelling of the food stamps. Right. So it's a very shameful thing that these people feel, even the kids. Right. And this kind of conversation when people are in entering into these debates about what we should give and take from poor people that are on food stamps, think of the kids and how uncomfortable it is for the kids. Not even uncomfortable. I, I don't even, I'm not even so worried about the uncomfortable thing, although that's a valid point. I'm talking about when you talk about restricting things like nutritious meat, steak is a nutritious item, and fish, it's a viable, sustainable source of protein for poor children. When you talk about taking that away from the adults because of whatever reason, drug addiction, whatever, you're ultimately taking that away from children who don't have the means to go down to the welfare office and sign up for their own ration of food stamps. So be responsible. Don't just think about the shitty adult who's made terrible life choices and has that have brought them to the place they are in life. Think about the children that will also be affected by their parents' poor choices. And maybe just have compassion for everybody involved. <laughs> well, it's just another element. So anyway, ultimately, look, I, this is how I come down on it. Um, I do believe that some tweaking of uh, what can be purchased is responsible. I think it's a good idea. I'm I'm not opposed to it. But not the way that this asshole wants to do it. Right. It's certainly not a hasty, knee-jerk reaction because you saw someone at the Walmart buying something you disagreed with. Right. You 
Fucking jerk. By the way, just for the audience's uh, edification, Brittany gets very, very uncomfortable when I name call on this show. Brittany. What? Was something said? Why don't you enlighten the audience as to what is in your head right now? Because you gave me this, not deer in the headlights, more angry, angry deer in the headlights. Um, No, I just choose to communicate differently than you. <laughs> so we just have a different communication style. We do. And we have different opinions about how things should be said about uh. people. Um, And that's good, right? Right. Okay, everybody's different. <laughs> All right, moving on, everybody. South Carolina was the scene of an all-too-common sound. <laughs> 50-year-old Walter Scott was killed, was shot eight times, shot dead by police officer Michael Slagger. It just sounds like a dick name. Michael Slagger shot and killed this man in the back and it was caught on tape. And luckily for us, I, I've seen a lot, and I know you've mentioned this, Brittany, that everybody's saying, oh, so so glad it was caught on tape. Being caught on tape doesn't necessarily mean we're going to get a conviction, that the right thing is going to happen. Eric Garner... Eric Garner was killed on tape and mm. nothing happened. But thankfully, the North Charleston Police Department or whatever municipality made the decision, they did the right thing. And this guy has been arrested and has not been released. No bail has been set. Um, additionally, Kelly Thomas was also another uh, case. That's uh, right. He was a white homeless man that was beaten to death by Fullerton police. And you can YouTube the video. It's, Fullerton, California. It's probably, I don't know, he was beaten to death for like 15 minutes. And the whole thing is on tape and he's screaming out for his mom and his dad. And um, they were not charged. It is graphic. It is violent. It is terrible. And if you... Even the most callous of people, I think, would be affected by the video. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's really bad. However, it's worth watching because people need to know the kind of behavior that goes on every day, not just with blacks, but also with whites, with everyone. This is a, a, a power thing. It's not necessarily a race thing. And this video that we're, we're referring to today where he's shot in the back eight times, he was running away. And this video is horrific to watch. I mean... Well, it's horrific for me because of the callousness, the, the, there was no, no panic on the cop. No. He was very deliberate. He yes. just pulls his weapon out like he's at a target practice. Right. And starts pumping rounds downrange. Right. Allegedly murdering. He for sure killed him, but whether it's murder is a different story. We don't know well, until he's convicted. Right, right. I'm just trying to cover mm, our yeah. tracks here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but listen. And then he put his gun back in. Put his gun back in. Like nothing nothing had happened. And it's so disturbing. He One of the bullets went into the man's heart. And after he was face down in the grass, dead, um, he puts the handcuffs on him and says, put your hands behind your back. Screaming, put your hands behind he's your back. He's dead, yeah, guy. He, he's lifeless. You know he's dead. Not moving. It's just, 
it's sickening. And then there's discussion over whether or not he, you know, picked up a taser that was far from the victim and moved it over to the victim because he claims that the the victim was going after his taser gun and actually had taken it, I think, is the story that he was trying to say. But this man was running away from him. And sorry, when you become a cop, there may be times where you have to enter into a foot pursuit. You right. have to chase the person. If someone's running away from you, you can't just kill them because they're running away from you. Right. I, I've seen a lot on Facebook. I think the, the overwhelming majority of people um, are against this cop. But those who are involved with law, law enforcement in whatever way, I've seen wives of cops, I've seen relatives of cops, who are still coming to the aid of this animal who brutally murdered... Allegedly, a man for getting pulled over for a, a a traffic violation, or not even a traffic violation, it was his his tail light was out. We need to come to a time in this country where we are hiring competent, capable human beings to be in a position of power over their fellow citizens. We don't want maniacs who draw their weapon at the first sign of whatever a difficulty were, it, it was going to be a difficult situation it looked like he was going to pull his taser to me if you ask me it looked like he was going to pull his taser if you've ever been tased it's not a good time um walter scott went to like push his hands no no don't tase me and then decided oh shit i'm out of here i'm gonna run away now so i don't get tased right he drew down on him and killed him methodically slowly, calmly, and then handcuff the dead, lifeless body. Right. So terrible, terrible situation. Something needs to be done. A conversation needs to be had about changing the the culture within law enforcement in this country. It's no good. The asshole of today. Although you would think that uh, Michael Slager would have been the asshole of today, he is not. The asshole of today, Brittany Page, not Brittany Page, it is Orange County Superior Court Judge M. Mark Kelly, right here in Orange County, California. Yeah. Um, so he knocked a 25 year to life sentence down to 10 years because he said that a child rapist, quote, did not intend to harm the toddler that he assaulted. He, he, he marked, it was a minimum sentence of 25 years and he cut it to 10 years. So the child rapist, Kevin Jonas Rahano, who is 20 years old, was convicted on December 3rd of sodomizing a three-year-old girl in his garage. Rahano was playing video games in the garage of his Santa Ana, California home on June 4th last year when the victim wandered in. The perpetrator reportedly became sexually aroused by the child, whom he's related to, and pulled her pants down to sexually assault her. During the attack, the girl's mom was looking for her, Rahano continued to abuse her and held her mouth shut so her mom could not hear her call out. Anally rape. No, no papers are being very clear about what happened. I'm sorry, but it's, it, it angers me. It's the same thing when they say sexually assault. When the word is rape, brutal rape of a child, of a toddler, 
Go ahead. Sorry. The girl later complained of pain and her mother called the police when she found injuries consistent with sexual assault. So this is what the judge said. Kelly, the judge, agreed that under most circumstances, the sentence would be appropriate, quote, however, in looking at the facts of Mr. Rahano's case, the manner in which this offense was committed is not typical of a predatory, violent, brutal sodomy of a child case. Mr. Rahano did not seek out or stalk the victim. He was playing video games and she wandered into the garage. He inexplicably became sexually aroused, but did not appear to consciously enhance intend to harm the victim when he sexually assaulted her. The defendant almost immediately stopped and realized the wrongfulness of his act. Although serious and despicable, this does not compare to a situation where a pedophilic child predator preys on an innocent child. There was no violence or callous disregard for the victim's well-being. So one of two things is happening here. Either Mark Kelly, Orange County Superior Court Judge, M. Mark Kelly, whose phone number is 657-622-5239. Again, 657-622-5239. Either he is losing his mental cognition, his ability to think. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's, he's uh, um, senility is setting in. Maybe he's uh, some dementia issue, which is terrible. And in which case, he needs to be removed. It's either that, or he is just a terrible asshole with no regard for the victim of a violent, brutal, anal rape of a man on a little tiny girl. A three-year-old, by the way. I don't know if we said that. Yeah. So I just... Um, either either way, he needs to fucking go. There's no explanation for this. There's just zero. Um, zero explanation. This is completely... I can't even believe that this is a thing. Um, apparently, there's a petition going around yes. to disbar him. Uh, yeah, there is. Um, it is on uh, change.org. And we will put a, a link to it on the Facebook page. It is do the right thing and step down, Judge Kelly... Provide justice for three-year-old rape victim. That's the title of of the uh, of the petition. I just he says there was no violence or callous disregard for the victim's well-being. Are you are you kidding me? If you have to hold her mouth closed with your hand so her mother won't hear, that is not gentle. That is not calm. He also said he inexplicably became sexually aroused. He's a child predator. What do you mean he inexplicably became aroused? Right. There's a reason for that, and right. it's a problem, and you are a judge. I just, what? what? Listen, we're going to put his address. Um, it's too long to say. It's Justice Center, 10th floor, Department C39, 700 Civic Center Drive, West, Santa Ana, California, 92701. And his phone number, again, is 657-622-5239. We will put this information on the Facebook page, along with a link to the petition, um, this guy needs to go. He is an animal. And just as a matter of uh, follow-up, the, the Orange County District Attorney's Office has appealed the sentence. So more than likely, unless it, the appeal goes back to this fucking douchebag. Um, sorry, Brittany Page. Uh, if it goes back to him, we don't know. But um, the likelihood that this sentence will stand is, is uh, nil. 
it, it, my prediction would be that it's going to be overturned and he's going to get an appropriate sentence of 25 to 33 years. So I, I don't mind that you called him a dick bag. This itch, I think I said fucking jerk. Uh, Maybe not, though. I don't even know. I thought you just called this guy a dick bag. I don't know. I, there's so many names floating around in my head for people that I just <laughs> I don't uh, I don't keep track. Bernie Page. OK, I don't. So let's move on to something maybe not so downer, but maybe enlightening for the fact that it will change public policy. A recent article in the journal Nature Neuroscience has indicated some findings that stress from poverty physically changes a child's brain. Right. Though the idea has been controversial, some scientists have long suspected a link between socioeconomic class and cognitive ability. Neuroscientist Kimberly Nobel of Columbia University and Elizabeth Sowell of Children's Hospital in Los Angeles took 1,099 individuals between the ages of 3 and 20 years old and found that income was logarithmically associated with brain surface area. In other words, as income increased, brain surface area increased as well. Perhaps the most significant achievement of this study is that it eliminated differences due to ethnicity. In this way, the study is an exclusive glimpse into brain size across a population independent of genetic ancestry. Because people with lower incomes in the U.S. are more likely to be from minority ethnic groups, the team mapped each child's genetic history and then adjusted the calculation so that the effects of poverty would not be skewed by the small differences in brain structure between ethnic groups. So, basically... They went about it pretty comprehensively. It's good. Yeah, and a lot of people, 1,099, is a pretty good chunk of people. So, the size of a child's brain may be determined before they are even born pretty crazy right yeah it's fascinating but this fits in perfectly with our previous food stamp discussion yeah um and the children which is we've talked a lot about the pick yourself up by your bootstraps uh comment that people love to make about people in difficult situations and these studies that come out really stress the idea that it's a lot more than just picking yourself up by your bootstraps. Right. Your, 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 the nomenclature of your brain is physically altered due to living in poverty. It's not just you're lazy or dependent on the government. You are, you are physically changed. Right. And it's important to remember that fact. And this study is, of course... Uh, quick to emphasize that the disadvantages of being born in poverty are not irreversible. And experts say that with quality care and nutrition, a child born in destitution can have the same potential as a highly privileged individual. But that comes with quality care and nutrition for the child. Right. And when you don't have government officials or people involved in children's lives wanting to help them and make them better rather than saying let's take away steak and seafood from the kids that are on food stamps those are the things that poor people need poor kids yes and we need to be putting resources into helping those kids when they come out disadvantaged from their brain to their ability because they were born into a disadvantaged situation. That's Well, if we're not supporting them and we expect them to get off the government dull, to get off uh, welfare and government assistance, how do we expect them to do that 
with an underperforming, a smaller brain. All we're doing is setting them up for failure. It's like I've said, and it's my push this since Christmas, it's been my push when we had that conversation with those people that the government needs to do a better job to support people to get off of welfare through education and through using government assistance as a vehicle to get out of poverty and to stop the cycle of poverty. Stop the cycle. Right. And in this study, in children from the poorest families, income disparities of a few thousand dollars were associated with major differences in brain structure, particularly in areas associated with language and decision making skills. Children's scores on tests measuring cognitive skills such as reading and memory ability also declined with parental income. So these are very important things. And very, very. And important. when you're talking about poor parents please just think of of the kids. And of course, this isn't a death sentence because many people come from poverty and, and are fine, but it's about funneling those resources to helping those people in those situations. For sure. Taking care of biz. Harold Eka. Oh, yeah. Speaking of what we just talked about, speaking of what we just talked about, this is apropos of that. A Nigerian immigrant has done something very rare and amazing and fantastic. Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Columbia, Dartmouth, Brown, Cornell, UPenn, MIT, Johns Hopkins, Vanderbilt, NYU, and SUNY Stony Brook. My name is Harold Eke, and I go to Elmont Monroe High School. I'm a senior at Elmont Monroe High School. Um, I was really recently accepted to all 13 schools that I applied to, including all eight Ivy League universities. So, yeah. So I was stunned. Like, I was really shocked to be accepted to so, so many great schools. My mom was right next to me when, you know, when I got the last acceptance, and she was just ecstatic. She was very excited. It's a great achievement, and uh, he, he exceeded our expectations. And he works hard. And that's the reason why we moved here in the first place. You know, to give them a better education because uh, America, uh, there are so many opportunities here. Uh, so we, we came here purposely for that. I was born and raised in Lagos, Nigeria, and I came to America when I was eight years old. We moved to Queens, New York. And so um, I'd say it was kind of difficult adjusting to the new environment and the new culture while also trying to hold on to my identity. But um, I saw my parents set a very tenacious example for me and my four brothers. In college, as an undergraduate, I'm going to major in biochemistry or neurobiology. And then I'd go to medical school and then I'd go to a residency after medical school which will specialize in neurosurgery so my ultimate career goal is to become a neurosurgeon i hope i'd inspire students to really um, achieve higher education really apply to these great schools because there's so much to offer your opportunities are only limited by how hard you're, you're willing to work unbelievable he applied to 13 schools eight of them were the eight ivy league schools and he got accepted to all of them all 13, but all all eight Ivy League schools, which are Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Columbia, Penn, Brown. Brown, Columbia, Cornell, Dartmouth, Harvard, Princeton, University of Pennsylvania, Yale. Cornell and Dartmouth. Those are the ones I forgot. I guess they're the ones that don't count. <laughs> so how awesome that an immigrant from Nigeria with their family moved here when he was eight, as he said, and he 
he achieved something phenomenal. All eight Ivy League schools accepted him. Right. There's not a one of them that would take me on even as a as a charity case. As a, oh, yeah, well, you know. I mean, goddamn. Th- this kid is legit. And he's going to go on to do amazing, amazing things. Which goes to show, well, one, it kind of flies in the face about the American education system and the opportunities that we do create. I mean... It puts things in perspective a little bit. Maybe it doesn't fly in the face, but it puts things in perspective that we can, with the system we have, with a, a few tweaks, make it a very, very highly effective system. Because obviously it's doing something right for this kid. So it's also inspiring because his parents, when they first came to the United States, they found clerk jobs at Target. And I don't think that they had a lot of advancement related to employment um, in that area. So it's very inspiring because he had other siblings as well. He comes from a large family and he's one of like five brothers. Right. And he did this. And I think his story is just very inspiring and it's an awesome accomplishment. Very awesome. All right. Well, we're going to finish the show with this. We usually finish with something very highly positive. We like to leave you on a good note. We're going to talk about a terrorist attack at the White House in Washington, D.C. Oh, no, it's a bee. It's okay, guys. Bees are good. They won't land on you. They won't sting you. They'll be okay. Wait, 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 wait. Fucking chaos. So we're going to play this again. I want to put it in perspective, talk about what happened, and then we'll play it again, and it'll make it even better for you. Uh, President Obama this Easter was doing a reading on the lawn to children of the the, the children's book, Where the Wild Things Are. Mm-hmm. And apparently... Things didn't go very well because, as you can hear in the beginning of the clip, one kid is freaking out. And you can hear one girl say, it's big and scary. It's a bee. There's a bee. Yeah. And he's trying to read this book. And so one kid gets upset. Then a couple other kids get upset. And pretty soon it's just all of the kids are upset. It's just a shit show. And he is trying so hard to figure out what to do to contain the situation. And he's not on the ball at this point because it takes him a while (laughs) to figure out what he's going to do. Well, it escalates quickly. We'll just say that. So again, that's what happened. Now listen to it again. Oh no, it's a bee. That's okay, guys. Bees are good. They won't land on you. They won't sting you. They'll be okay. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> hold on, hold on. You guys are wild things. You're not supposed to be scared of bees. They are wild things. That uh, didn't seem to work, President Obama. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's very funny. I love the little girl that's freaking out about how big and scary the bee is. It's big and it's scary. (laughs) So funny. 
Those kids have no idea how lucky they are. Right. Well, to be sitting in front of the president of the United States reading them where the wild things are. Yes. Like he's not doesn't have better shit to do. Yes. Listen, go negotiate the Iran thing there, guy. Reading to these dumbass scaredy cat kids. Bees are scary. Bees are not scary. I should get my buddy on the show who has Mark's beehole on Facebook. If you want to follow a guy who is at this point kind of a hobbyist with bees, to me it's fucking fascinating. But go follow Mark's beehole. It's not really his beehole, but it's his beehole on Facebook. B-E-E hole. Yeah, and you can see what he's doing with, with being a hobbyist with bees in his backyard. And I'm over head over heels just in love with everything he's doing with these goddamn bees. Yeah, you are. They're not big or scary. Because I love when they're big and scary, Brittany. All right. <laughs> That's enough. All right. Well, we're going to leave you there, everybody. Listen, we love you for listening. We appreciate you joining us. Don't hesitate to use that phone number, 657-464-7609. That is where you get a hold of us. We're still taking submissions for the promo at the beginning of the show where you say who you are, where you're from, and how you never listen to the show. 657-464-7609. You can also record yourself on your smartphone and email it to idoubtit at dollamore.com. You can also go to dollamore.com on the left-hand side there. There's an Amazon search bar. If you'd like to buy a book, you can buy a book on bees, or you can buy Where the Wild Things Are. All of that is available on amazon.com. Any other thing you want to purchase, if you're going to spend your money anyway, why not help your favorite podcast filled with news news and ridiculous comment? Until next time, for Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. If I can smell your goddamn breath, you're too close.